Hi, and welcome back to Blademore's podcast series, Centre Stage. My name is Anthony Coombs, and I'm the creative director at Blademore. This is the second episode in a two-part series about brand, so if you haven't listened to the first part, do that now before listening to this episode. Once again, I'll be joined by Carl Smith, strategy director at Blademore, who has lots of experience creating and managing brands. Hi, and welcome back to Centre Stage, Carl. Hey, Ant. Thanks for having me back again. Lovely to be talking to you again. This is our second session talking about brand, but I really feel we've only started. There's a lot more to come. Yeah, we've barely scratched the surface. So um, let's dig in. If you remember in the first episode, we talked about the role of branding in managing change and the importance of brand narrative. Um, one thing I've noticed uh, in my role as creative director is that there seems to be a tension with a lot of clients with fitting in and standing out in terms of their brand. How do you gauge what's right for them? Is it about being seen as competitive within that top set? Or is it about doing something different and finding something new? I think certainly it's common in the corporate communication world, you know, this idea of leading from the middle, uh, doing something that's good, decent, solid, but not too avant-garde, nothing that will get you the wrong kind of attention, I suppose. And I think there's a long history in, in you know, certain media teams the whole idea of the communications function was not to get noticed. You know, it was to to, to say very little. Uh, I mean, that, that has changed. That has changed. But I, I think in corporate communication and in B two B branding, you you have to think about a lot of different uh, components and audiences. And I think the challenge is probably more interesting than B two C. I mean, that that's why I'm in the B two B world. Uh, and and the ideas have to be stronger. They have to work harder, I think. And within that, then getting a, a company to do something that's really, really different um, and may make them stand out for maybe the wrong reasons is, is, is tough. I think it, it is easier to get a client to back you in the consumer market where differentiation is 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 more important and it may be actually for a product campaign that won't have a huge longevity. It's not really going to impact a, a company reputation in the same way. Um, but saying that, I mean, there are, there are clients that I've worked with who understand fully the context that they're in, they understand the constraints that they and we work in, but still really want to push things and, and are able to look at something and appreciate what has been pushed and how, how different it is. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. I, I think there is a tension there. Um, and there's, I think there's a tension in all brands between differentiation and relevance. So you, you have to show that you are as good as or able to compete with a certain peer group and then also differentiate yourself from them. So there's, I think that there is both going on at the same time. So how does a company find that point of difference you know how do you kind of get to the heart of something i mean i think you you immerse yourself in a company and you you find out about its heritage where it's coming from the kind of values that it has the things that regardless maybe of changes in business strategy or company fortunes the things that are still held onto the things that define their culture, their character. And, and I think you, you do a lot of that and you, you also then interrogate people within a company. They, they will have ideas about what the brand should be or, or how they should differentiate or what's good or what's bad or how they compare to their competitors. 
Um, and I think it's just having robust conversations with them and, and really saying, you know, you, you, you tell us that you are different from X, Y and Z because of your your innovation or whatever it may be. But, you know, really, are you are you that innovative? What, what, what does innovation mean for you? And I think that there's a lot of companies, you know, who, who are banging the same drum about sustainability, innovation, whatever it may be. And you have to really unpick that and get to the heart of what, what, what does it mean? You know, most companies or lots of companies have an innovation section on their website now. You go, well, what does innovation actually mean? Is, is it in, you know, product development? Is it something very abstract? Is it in customer? What, what is it all about? And actually, can we find a way of defining that difference uh, that isn't just saying we are very innovative? And, and I think clients need to go with you on that journey. Uh, if the client already has the answer and they just want you to come in and write some fancy words around it and, you know, or for you to say and to paint a very pretty picture and give them a logo, it's not really much of a brand. I think it's, it's a, you know, window dressing exercise. But I, I think companies have to go on the journey with you and be open to being challenged. I, I think often you get that, that trust and that openness more at a very senior level. Uh, and if you can get the time and be able to engage with the, the very top people within a company, they're more likely to give you that permission to, to push and to challenge, in, in my experience. Yeah, a lot of the projects we see is about looking the part. So you know, a company may have an aspiration, be saying the right things, but they just aren't convincing. How do you begin the process of making them look the part? There are companies who, who have a great story but very little to back it up. Uh, and then there are companies who are doing great things but uh, are just really bad at telling their story. Uh, the latter are make for the best projects, I always, I always find, because um, you don't have to actually start retooling their entire business. Uh, I, I mean, I love finding companies that are doing lots of interesting things but haven't worked out how to tell the world about it. Uh, or are doing lots of interesting things and they don't actually know that they're that interesting. And I think that's another role of the agency is to help a client discover what is of value or what is of interest that's, that's going on within the company. I always come back to, you know, what is the story that we're trying to tell? What are the key parts of that story? How do those parts then come across to different audiences? And what practically is going on within the company that supports that or that uh, evidences it. And communications planning, I suppose, is what I'm talking about. I think often within a company, there is good work going on, but it's taking place in a very siloed way, be that product innovation or be that communication itself. And especially in a big company, the, the challenge and the effort that goes into coordinating various bits of the communication function is, is quite difficult it's it's not an easy thing to do and I think it's a matter of coming back to a number of simple themes and working out how those themes then relate to all the different parts of the company I mean it's 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 quite straightforward but it it requires effort what if there's misalignment that you know the the aims are clear but the reality is very different how do you how do you respond to that the misalignment is very rarely complete I think it's more likely to be partial that there are pockets of excellence within a company or whatever it may be that are actually showing the way. I think the biggest mistake that companies make in that situation is 
pretending that they are something that they're not. And I think it is important to certainly paint the picture or the, the future, the place you want to get to, that you want that you aspire to, but also to explain where you are on the journey to being there. Um, and I think it's okay to point out not every part of our business is exactly there yet. And I think there is an element of forgiveness and, and understanding that you know big companies can't just turn around overnight. Uh, and I think it's also being able to demonstrate that A, you have a strategy to get there and that there is a timetable and there are components and programs and that you're able to talk about those things. I, I think there's nothing wrong with having a bit of stretch in the story or in the strategy or in the, the brand, but I think there also has to be honesty. So what do you do with the Mavericks? You know, a lot of uh, exciting brands have Mavericks at the helm, You know, people that are going against the norm, shaking things up, you know, doing things in unconventional ways. H- how do you kind of tune into to that? That's an, that's an interesting one. I mean, the, the, the Mavericks, in my experience, are generally with younger companies. Um, it's often, you know, Maverick uh, company founders. And there's a question then, I suppose, of how, how much of the brand is actually the person and how much of it is something bigger or beyond that. And I think this happened a lot with um, dot-com startups where typically a company that's been around for a while has its stories and its legends and its folk history and all the rest. And you are dealing with that history and dealing with the contemporary situation and dealing with where that brand needs to get to. But there are some reference points there from the past. When when we worked with dot-coms back in the day, the the startups, we we had a program which was... Uh, 0-60, so we would go from 0-60 to and at the end of that you would have a visual identity, a brand, a website, the the whole lot done. It it wasn't cheap, but and often it took more than 60 days to do, but that was the the sales pitch. But it's interesting that you're starting in a more open field, so there is a product or a product idea which actually in a year's time may morph into a very different product idea. But there's an idea there. There's a founder. There is some sense, certainly, of disruption, changing the market, disintermediation, all of those kinds of cool things that everyone was and still is trying to do. And you're trying to then work out what is this story about something that's actually only coming into being and how much of it is attached to this individual maverick or these mavericks and what they're trying to do. And it's good fun, uh, and it's interesting, and you need to get something, I think, beyond just the brand is this person. I think you have to get something that other people can buy into and feel a part of, rather than the brand is this one person, and we are essentially running around after this person and subject to whatever that person does next. Do you see the ESG agenda kind of having more of a role in branding? I think ESG is hugely important. And I think it's also interesting that a lot of the ESG agenda is being driven not just by societal pressure, but also actually by investors who have decided or have woken up to the fact that you know fossil fuels are finite, the climate is changing, things need to happen. And the question from a branding point of view, I suppose, is do you attach your brand to ESG? And do you say, 
you know, we we will be known as being an exemplar of the ESG uh, direction? Or do you say, we are who we are, this is our brand, and here is how the ESG agenda or the diversity agenda, whatever else, works within our brand? And unless you are going to be able to show absolute purpose on the ESG agenda or on diversity or whatever else it may be, um, you're slightly a hostage to fortune, I think. I think it is better to have your brand and to work out how these other programs fit within that than to try and actually really, really pin it on one. I mean, there are, there are brands in the past, like I suppose Body Shop, those kinds of brands where it was so core to their identity, uh, but that was there before any particular agenda. That was actually always part of what they were doing. So it's not something you can kind of engineer. It's not something to kind of now build into everything. The, the regulatory environment, the investment environment, social environment, whatever it may be, changes. Uh, there are things that were considered perfectly fine 20 years ago. You know, they weren't fine 20 years ago, but they were considered okay 20 years ago that certainly are um, frowned upon or, or illegal now. So I, I think we have to recognise that brands and companies are working in a changing set of frameworks and that companies do need to adapt and change and need to work on how these things impact their business and also impact their brand. I think all companies are having to re-engineer to some extent. So legislation says you have to report a certain way, you have to report a certain way. And I think companies have always done that. And a good brand should be able to actually remain intact and adapt to those kinds of programs. I don't think that, that they should be antagonistic. When is a good time to look at branding? You know, when is it right to, to look at your brand? When is it right to refresh a brand? So I think there are, there are a range of different trigger points when people think about a brand. Often it's some sort of crisis. Something's gone wrong and they need help to tell their story differently or they need to sort out what they're doing. And that's maybe less about the brand per se and more about the communications, but it crosses over with the brand as well. Often it'll be triggered by a new CEO who will come in, want to make a mark, but also be dissatisfied at how the brand is being expressed or how the story is being told. Mergers and acquisitions are another big one. Company change, uh, they need to work out what, what their story should be. And I think having a, a definite reason, a definite drive is usually better and is, and is usually more common than a, you know, we just thought it was time for a change. There's, there's usually some driver, either the need to be seen in a new light, the need to impress a new boss, the need to overcome a reputational issue or a crisis. But I would say, there's, yeah, there's usually some trigger point like that. Now, wh which of those is the best? I don't know. M&As can be difficult because you're not just dealing with a brand story, you're also dealing with a lot of employee engagement, either two companies of relatively equal size coming together or a big company swallowing a little company or sometimes a little company swallowing a big company, some sort of leveraged buyout. And, and in my experience, actually, brands that are created for mergers and acquisitions are time-bound and need to be revisited usually within a year or two. They, they are very much a reaction to what's happening at that time and the needs of that time, and it is quite difficult to build in any real longevity 
I think, to a brand that's created that way. And, I, and I've seen the same with agency mergers and all the rest, is that usually a couple of years down the line, the story needs to change a bit. Do you find that um, consumer brands are aimed at customers, whereas B2B brands tend to be aimed at recruiting talent, you know, getting the right people on board? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I alluded to this earlier. Often when I speak to colleagues who work in consumer branding and they look at some of the work that I would have done and they will say, but where, where's, the, where's the one clear idea, the cut through, the moment, the, the creativity? And I, I think corporate brands and B2B brands definitely have to work harder, have to say more. The story for B2B customers and the story for employees and the story for corporate communications are much more closely aligned. And and I think the B2B customer in many cases knows and is closer to the company in a way that consumers aren't. Um, I think it's the the nature of what's, what's being sold. And I also think B2B communication can be aspirational and inspiring, but there's an element of the B2B customer wanting to kick the tires. The... That, you know, the purchase decision isn't just ordering something online or going into the shop or whatever. There's often a procurement exercise. There are often um, evidence needs to be gathered, taken to a boss. The boss takes it to another boss. It, it's, it's, not, it's more drawn out. And I think it is interesting, though, when you plot, you know, customer journey mapping and you think about brand experience at different points on that journey, when you do it in B2B, there are many more points and many more people involved, and it is more complex, but also more interesting. So I think there's the element of giving people something to, to get excited about, because you know people doing a procurement exercise are still people, and they still like to see good work and interesting ideas. Um, but there's also that big idea, that concept, has to be um, evidenced in a way that you don't have to in, in consumer. So how do you measure success? B to B is, is easier to measure success. You, you, some of the same metrics that, that apply to B to C are there. Um, in, in the more corporate communication end, that, that was always something that agencies struggled with. You would n- never be able to correlate between a company's share price and you know the new video you put on the, on the website. Uh, it doesn't quite work that way. I, I think often... It's in more anecdotal evidence. But the classic issue is analysts, investors, those sorts of people are the audience for your communication, the audience for your brand, your website. But, but it's really weird that there are very few uh, types of company or types of business where your target audience actually you meet all the time. So CEOs sit down with analysts and investors all the time. So the people who run the website that you're designing, the people who are consuming the materials that you've designed are also there giving feedback day to day. They don't generally give the CEO or the FD a design critique or tell them how much they really love the branding. But but it you do get you do get some comments. And there's also the 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 idea that um there's a concept of, of um colour that uh the there's the investment case, there's the hard hard facts and then the the FD or the CEO will say, and let's just give you some colour around that. And it's it's that kind of what, what does this stuff actually mean? What's happening on the ground? What are the anecdotes? What are the stories? And I suppose in corporate communications, much of what we're trying to do is to provide that colour. There's no point in having a strategy that says we are innovative and we are going to put rockets in space next year 
you may be doing that, but if every other part of your communication screams this is not what they are doing and there's a, a real um, disjuncture between what's being said and how it's being said, that, that actually feeds into, not necessarily at the forefront, but in the background of the investor or the analyst, the, the, the mood music, the colour, whatever it may be, seems off. And that, that's the same when we do things like media coaching and whatever else. It, it's aligning all the different parts of the colour or the music to fit what the message is. That, that is less tangible than, you know, last week we had 60,000 downloads of whatever it was from the um, the App Store. But it, it is still there and, and we, have to be, we have to be able to capture that in some way. So are you talking things about, um, you're talking something like uh, trust, pride, you know, the sort of the softer side of things. Is that is that is that where you're going? I think, I think purely in the investor communications area, it is about trust, and it's about credibility, and it's about reputation, uh, and it's making sure that all the communication on the brand work and everything else feels right and feels trustworthy. Now that trust will come from lots of different places. It's not purely down to how nice your strap line is or anything else. But I, I think I think it is providing that evidence, either direct evidence uh, through content or indirect evidence through feel and experience that backs up the reputation of the company. In B2B marketing, I mean, tr- trust is also hugely important. But, but I think that is still closer. There is still a product being sold. There is still uh, hard metrics um, that can be applied. Well, but in many cases, there is also, you know, relationships between uh, buyers and suppliers in the B2B world that are actually, you know, have great longevity and are based on trust and based on lots and lots of more uh, soft side. What happens when things go wrong? How do you get a project back on track? Not that I would ever admit that any project I worked on has ever gone wrong. Uh, I think what happens when projects go wrong is usually down to communication and I think a mismatch between what a client expected and what they got or a misunderstanding on a client's part as to what they have signed off what they've agreed to and a misunderstanding of how far down the line it is before you can make a change I have often seen uh, project managers and client account people who come back from a client meeting and go, oh, that was brilliant. The client signed everything off, really good. Only took half an hour, brilliant. And normally that's an alarm bell for me. And there, there are other project managers and account people who can be really, really boring with the client and they make them go through every single line, every single part, and they explain it over and over and over again. And those people, I think, their projects don't go wrong as often. I think within, within a client, there's also not managing upwards properly, so not explaining to their boss or their boss's boss, A, what is being purchased, uh, B, what signing off on a concept means versus signing off on final artwork, whatever it may be. And you find at the 11th hour, a CEO, you know, making quite significant changes to something that you had thought had methodically been agreed and agreed and agreed and gone through all the right processes. Uh, and then suddenly comes off the rails. So, so I think it's it's about communication, and it's also about being really rigorous to the point of being boring 
about making sure that everyone understands what it is that they're signing off. And, and just as a complete <laughs> back to the start of our conversation, I think within, within branding, I, I have often sat in meetings with multiple agencies and members from the client side, and it's very unclear what's being said. And someone will be talking about the, you know, the whole the whole values piece. Somebody else will be talking about the strategy, whatever. All using similar words, but in a different way, or very different words with different meanings. But no one, no one saying stop. When you say that, do you mean a piece of paper like this? Do you mean the colours? What is it that you mean that you're talking about? And I think I think it's about not uh, losing face. That so people will happily, what's that a horrible expression? Will happily talk around something rather than talk about it. And people will sit there and they will throw words around. And, and I find it's actually quite fun to be the one who says, can I ask a dumb question? What what are we talking about? And then either everyone knows exactly what they're talking about or they go, oh, thank you for asking that question. Thanks so much for joining me here at Centre Stage, Carl. It's been really interesting to hear your thoughts. Good stuff, Ant. Been really great talking to you again. I've just been thinking as we have been talking, we've covered quite a lot of ground, but I really think there's a a lot more to be discussed on this topic. There's definitely lots more to cover. However, that's it for now on the topic of brand. But in future episodes, we'll be discussing other important issues business communicators face. So don't forget to subscribe to Centre Stage wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.